Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. ADT gets bought. Intel and Qualcomm are now IoT friends. Amazon is hiring like crazy in its Echo division. The Revolve Hub is now a doorstop. All that plus a conversation with Jeff Lyman of Vivint on this week's Smart Home Show. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. Today's guest is Jeff Lyman, the Chief Marketing Officer of Vivint. Jeff and I talk about uh, Vivint as well as the broader security space, and it's an interesting time to be talking about home security because just last week, the biggest home security company, ADT, was acquired. And that's the first story I want to talk about on a quick Smart Home weekly news catch-up. I know I don't do this weekly, but let's just kind of pretend I do. But I just want to catch up on the news before we get to Jeff's interview, so really kind of this is a two-part podcast in a sense. Uh, ADT was acquired by a private equity company called Apollo, uh, about $7 billion or so. And and this was for about what is uh, 7 million or so subscribers. The next biggest home security company is called Protection One, who just so happens to be owned by Apollo as well. And Apollo's plan is to combine the two companies into one big home security company with the brand ADT. That makes sense because ADT is the most well-known Company. If you did a survey of people in the U.S., ADT would probably be at the top in terms of brand recognition for home security. So what does this mean? ADT has been trying to reinvent themselves over the past year or two. Um, this past CES, they announced a new effort called Canopy. It's a security, security as a service, essentially offering managed home security uh, to third-party device providers. If you make a connected device and want to layer on a home security service, you can use this. They have API. You can connect to Canopy. And so this was an interesting effort. It's really kind of a one of the most forward-facing efforts I've seen from ADT to develop their own core technology. Because if you look at ADT uh, with regards to their smart home efforts, they've largely leveraged third-party technology. They've been using iControl smart home platform for their own smart home platform. And that's really what iControl does. They have a basically what is a white-label service that other brands use to provide managed smart home services, and ADT is one of those companies. And so if you look at the Pulse interactive platform, I think about 25% of total ADT subscribers use the Pulse platform, so that probably amounts to uh, roughly a little under 2 million or so subscribers are using smart home, managed smart home services from ADT. And so ADT is trying to reinvent themselves. Um, they've been using other technology. They've developed their own technology but if you look at a, a similar company in terms of what just happened, uh, Vivint was also acquired by a private equity company called Blackstone in 2012. But if you look at what they did, they invested quite a bit of money in developing their own technology. Vivint developed a, an innovation center. They developed their own panel and cloud smart home service called Vivint Sky. They also started developing their own point products like a doorbell. And just as CES, they announced their own internal camera. So, um, I think this is this is something that uh, you'll probably continue to see Vivint do, but you have to wonder what ADT is going to do post-acquisition. Well, I think one of the big focuses for the company is to merge the two companies into a broader one under ADT. 
They've also said that they want to grow ADT's enterprise business. Protection One does fairly well in the business market, so that'll be another focus. But will they invest in the company and develop their own technology? I think one of the, the things that they really talked about on the press release was ADT has technology like Canopy. So I certainly think they're thinking about it. My, my, my worry for them is that they're going to focus on trying to integrate two companies over the next year. And this, this market is moving so quickly, home security. There's a lot of new entrants um, because of the arrival of IoT and smart, smart home. Uh, I think that uh, ADT may not be nimble enough. Uh, if they're just focused internally and not really kind of reinventing themselves. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, it'll be something interesting to watch. And again, if you want to just kind of really go deep on the home security industry, uh, just stay tuned for the rest of this podcast after we do this quick update. The other really big piece of news last week was the announcement of a new organization called the Open Connectivity Foundation called OCF. And why this was such big news, I mean, we, we tend to see in the world of IoT and, and technology, new organizations announced all the time. Why this was so interesting was it was Qualcomm and Intel coming together, along with a lot of other big companies like Microsoft and, and uh, many, many others, announcing that they are basically coming together and creating a single IoT standard. They're basically going to be using uh, the, the the specification that was developed under the auspices of the Open Internet Consortium, Interconnect Consortium. Um, that's actually a really good name to, uh, really good reason for them to actually create a new organization because the last one, I always had trouble, always wanted to call it the Open Internet Consortium, but it was the Open Interconnect Consortium. Anyway, OIC, the Open Interconnect Consortium, was the kind of the, the overseer of the IoTivity, IoT specification which was a competitor to AllJoin, which is overseen by AllSeen Alliance, which was backed by Qualcomm. And basically what's happened is Intel and Qualcomm have got together and basically uh, anointed IoTivity as the IoT standard. In their, and while Qualcomm is paying lip service to the fact that they'll continue to support AllJoin, you can read between the lines here and basically look and see that AllJoin is essentially dead. You know, I was at the AllSeen Alliance's uh, annual get-together. They had it in Seattle. I spoke on a panel. I actually uh, moderated a panel. They asked me to come and speak and moderate a panel. This was in September last year. And in retrospect, it just felt like the whole affair had a lack of energy. There just didn't seem a lot of, to, a lot of urgency to it. You know, in emerging markets, oftentimes at these these conferences, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of excitement. And this, I just didn't feel it. Um, and this is in retrospect. I mean, admittedly, um, but now that you, we have everything uh, and we kind of could see what has happened here, this is probably something that was in works for, for a while. And it looks like basically OIC won. And so the Open Connectivity Foundation is the merger of these two efforts. I expect all gene to kind of all join to kind of gently fade away into history and IoTivity to be the, the open standard that is pushed by these tech behemoths. And if you look at what happened at uh, at CES, you know Samsung was talking about IoTivity, IoTivity in a big way. Uh, the Open Interconnect Consortium, uh, OIC, had just acquired Universal Plug and Play, one of the most long-standing connectivity frameworks. Uh, if you have a home router, you've probably seen that little UPnP logo on it. UPnP is basically this technology that has allowed home routers and other gadgets in your home to kind of recognize each other. There's a 
uh, connectivity and there's a data framework there, a discovery framework. And they, they realize, Hey, uh, someone has just put a, a gadget on the network. They just put a, a, a home streaming device on the network. Um, a lot of this is the under kind of underlying technology that enables all this discovery is universal plug and play. And this was subsumed. This organization was subsumed by OIC and that will now be under the auspices auspices of the Open Connectivity Foundation. Now, you're probably getting confused. I feel like I'm throwing around way too many acronyms, so I apologize. Just to kind of sum it all up, um, there's a new organization called Open Connectivity Foundation, OCF. Uh, they and are, they will be pushing the IoTivity standard as the primary IoT standard. Um, they also own the universal plug-and-play standard, uh, a, a discovery framework that's been around for at least 15 to 16 years now. And it looks like going forward, we won't have as much fragmentation, but let's put the asterisk next to, next to this. The two companies that weren't part of this announcement, there were a lot of big tech companies as part of this announcement announcement. The two that weren't the most notable omissions were Google and Apple. And this is not surprising because we know that Google and Apple tend to do things on their own. They like to kind of think that they create their, uh, uh, an ecosystem unto themselves and they largely can. I mean, if anyone can do that, it's Apple, right? Uh, if anyone can do that, it's Google. So Google has weave that they're pushing. Apple has HomeKit that they're pushing for a, basically an IOT and smart home framework. And they have not become part of this new organization. Now I kind of expect at some point, uh, you know, Apple in the long uh, over kind of the long arc of history tends to support, standards to a certain degree. Um, certainly if you look at all the internet standards, they tend to support those Google as well. And I expect this IOT becomes a, a more mature industry as uh, a lot of companies coalesce around IOTivity as a IOT communication protocol and standard. I would expect that at some point Google and Apple will incorporate uh, ways and incorporate this technology into their own world. Um, and, you know, they may have this larger framework, like Google may have Weave and Brillo and all these things are doing around smart home and IoT. And to say, hey, we now have uh, create a connector with IoTivity. You can now, if you're an IoTivity-based uh, company, if you use IoTivity as a way for your product to connect with the rest of the IoT world, uh, we have a module within our broader stack here that will allow you to kind of leverage that. I just kind of feel like Google and Apple will go down go down that path at some point because it looks like to me the momentum is having heading in that direction. And, you know, IoTivity is really kind of this Switzerland now of smart home and IoT specifications. It's not one that's owned, you know, it's not a political thing anymore. It's not Intel pushing IoTivity. It's not Qualcomm pushing Alljoin. They basically bury the hatchet. My friend, uh, Kevin Crewell, I worked with Kevin at Instat a long time ago in the research world. Kevin Crewell is also an independent analyst now, and he had a great tweet. He basically said that Intel and Qualcomm have buried the hatchet, and it appears the hatchet is buried in all scenes. So we'll close at that. I think it's funny. Um, let's move on because I've talked long enough about this. A couple of listeners to the podcast actually wrote in and wanted to let me know uh, that Revolve has sent out an email. If you are a Revolve user, use the Revolve Hub, this amazing wonder hub that came out a few years ago with seven radios, Z-Wave, Zigbee, Insteon, really the only hub, third-party hub I know that had Insteon incorporated in that at the time. Um, Revolve was this amazing hub that, sadly, for those who had it, was a, 
basically acquired by Nest slash Google uh, a year ago or so. Um, and they sent out an email at the time saying, you know, we will continue to support this for the foreseeable future. Well, fast forward to last week, they sent out an email saying that the support for the Revolve Hub and the application is going away. And the Revolve is essentially becoming a brick. From Ray, who wrote me, he says, Revolve has now decided that all of his customers have passed their one-year warranty period. Now that they've all passed it, they're going to completely shut down the app, support, and overall ability to use any products, rendering, rendering them completely useless. Ray asks, how is that for loyalty to customers? Cash in and screw everyone who bought your products. I really hope you will follow up your article on the Nest Bio with an update. Ray actually was a newsletter reader, so... Uh, He's referring to an article I wrote about this. Caleb uh, is a podcast. So Caleb wrote in, well, this sucks. Revolve just announced they're discontinuing the app and breaking the device as of May 15th. I actually have a pretty decent logic-based setup with my Revolve with 30 devices from all sorts of manufacturers. Philips, Insteon, Dinalox, Sonos, and Nest connected to this thing. What's a guy to do? Caleb asked. Well, Caleb, uh, you're going to be spending your time moving everything to a new hub is what you're going to be doing. I actually suggested to Caleb a few suggestions, uh, but his problem is uh, kind of what we alluded to. You know, he's, he's very much into Insteon. And if you have a lot of Insteon, it's hard to uh, get a hub that supports that unless you're using an Insteon device, kind of an Insteon first party device. Cause one of the unique things about revolve was they actually had an Insteon radio in there. So, Hey, there's an opportunity for you aspiring hub makers or your current hub makers for your next generation. You should maybe put an Insteon radio in there. I'm sure that, that they would appreciate that. And a lot of people out there would appreciate that. So, well, this is what happens in early markets. I mean, early adopters like Caleb and Ray, you have to feel bad for them. But I also feel like, you know, Google to a certain degree and Nest to a certain degree is uh, kind of abandoning some of their biggest uh, potential evangelists. I mean, early adopters tend to be evangelists for markets, and so this is going to create a little bit of bitterness uh, among them and maybe other users. So I just thought I'd mention that. Thanks, Ray and, and Caleb, for writing in. You know, another interesting piece of news. In my backyard here in Seattle, Amazon had a massive networking event for the Smartum and Alexa. Charlie Kindle, who runs uh, the Smartum side of things, Smart on hardware side of things for Amazon got up and spoke. And yes, I do think it's funny that his name is Charlie Kindle. Um, I doubt that they named the Kindle after him. It's, it's probably a large coincidence, but it's weird how things like that work. Right. And this is because the reason they had this is there's 569 job listings on the Amazon echo team on the Amazon job site. That's like a bunch of startups in one. I mean, 569 job positions. There's publicly held companies with less employees than that. Probably a lot of them. And Amazon is looking to invest heavily. I mean, if you don't think that Amazon has massive plans for its Echo and Alexa, uh, you're wrong. I mean, you don't hire that many people unless you have like world domination plans. So it'll be interesting to see what they did or what they do. They had an ad on the Super Bowl with Alec Baldwin, for goodness sakes. So uh, and unlike Wink, who had an ad for the for the Super Bowl last year, the previous year, I don't see uh, Alexa or Echo or Amazon facing the same sort of problems that Wink did. So it'll be interesting to see how much more they invest in this project. I mean, I've, as you guys have know, I've talked a lot about Amazon. I think their most interesting story around smart home 
in 2015. CES just really validated that. They were kind of the sexy integration partner, as I've talked about. And I think that they're just going to kind of try and blow it up more even this year. Well, that's it for my quick news update. Just wanted to catch everyone up. If you are going to South by Southwest, I have a few tickets left if you want to go to my Smart Home and Smart Kitchen Mixer sponsored by Belkin, Init, and Control 4. Uh, you'll see folks from those companies as well as lots of other companies, uh, senior executives at my Smart Home Mixer at South by Southwest. It's on March 15th. If you want to go, there are a few tickets left. Just email me. Just connect with, with me on Twitter. Just go to Michael Wolf and direct message me. I take all direct messages on Twitter, and I can uh, send you a ticket if you, if you hurry up. All right, folks, that's it for now. Here's my conversation with Jeff Lyman, the Chief Marketing Officer of Vivint. Hey, Jeff, it's Friday, and, and you're based in, in Utah. and uh, I think Tropical. You're, tropical Utah. That's right, Tropical Utah. And you're sitting Utah. in Vivint headquarters. I'm excited to be talking to Jeff Lyman, the Chief Marketing Officer of Vivint. And I'm excited because you guys are a pretty interesting company within the, the broader context of security and home automation. And I think you're the first smart home company to name a stadium or, or at least a football or a, a basketball arena, right? That's right. The, the the Vivid Smart Home Arena, home of the, the NBA's Utah Jazz. So that's kind of cool. Um, that's probably a better way to spend your money than on a Super Bowl out like Wink, I think. Um, did, and, and I'm not, I'm not literally trying to make fun of Wink. I'm just saying that's probably a good idea. So, um, boy, this conversation, well it, it is a Friday conversation so far, isn't it? <laughs> for sure. Well, I want to chat with you about Vivint, um, cause just in the broader context of, of the industry security and then smart home, you guys are, uh, an interesting one. Tell us about what you do for Vivint and then let's kind of dive in to the, the story a little bit. Yeah, so I'm the chief marketing officer here. I've been at Vivint probably two and a half years now, coming up on three. I was at uh, at Nike for about 10 years before then doing uh, brand marketing and uh, actually uh, consumer product development. So it's been fun. I think that what was so attractive is that the smart home space is still so nascent and there's, you know, the clay is really so soft uh, and there's a lot to shape as far as what this industry becomes. And so it's uh, certainly an interesting time to be on board. Vivint writ large is, um, you know, what we sort of affectionately like to call is a comprehensive smart home provider. And so um, sort of rooted out of your classic security origins, but you know, um, have built our sort of entire comprehensive platform and in our own peripherals where it makes sense, like our Vivint doorbell camera or um, our new Vivint Ping uh, indoor camera, which we just announced at CES. And you sort of couple that with you know, best of breed uh, experiences like the Amazon Echo and the Nest thermostat, etc. What you do is you try to put that all together in a way that takes the friction out of the process for consumers. And and um, you know, overnight they've got they go from sort of smart home curious to having a comprehensive smart home across connected locks, lights, cameras, <laughs> thermostats, etc. And that's been a model that's worked really well for us. Well, our podcast caters to the smart home curious and the smart home committed. So I think this is. <laughs> but I do. I want you talked a little bit about how you guys have developed your own technology, and you know, I think you guys developed you or you launched the Vivint Innovation Center in 2013, and then about a year later you had. Um, the Vivint One, or the, excuse me, the Vivint Sky, your your cloud-based right. smart home offering. So, you guys are 
fairly forward-leaning with regards to developing your own technology. Can you talk about, you know, was the Innovation Center like a key point in the, the company? Um, and as Vivint is one of these companies now that's developing a lot of their own core technology, like this, the doorbell, for example, as well, which I saw at CES, um, or the, the, the network camera that you guys had at CES. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it was a huge sort of um, uh, pivot point in sort of the trajectory of the company overall, and it was enabled by actually the investment in the company uh, from Blackstone. And what that enabled us to do was historically we had sold um, pretty much an integration of other people's uh, products and services. And we were, you know, uh, really adept at that sort of entire piece of the value chain from sales to installation to service to billing, et cetera, and, and had built, you know, a really large kind of customer base out of that. But when we took a step back and looked at the future, this industry was becoming, you know, in its purest sense, a tech industry. And you, and, and we looked at, um, uh, sort of the recipe for success being about, um, you know, having agility and being able to develop smart home services and products quickly, distribute them, etc. And so when you're sort of waiting on third-party providers to get you what you want to have an industry-leading experience, those cycles are slow, you know. And so we said, you know what, we need to bring in-house the, uh, you know, the entire smart home experience uh, and have it powered by our own platform and, uh, and sort of uh, have agility be on our side as we, in many ways, out-innovate uh, uh, our competition in this space as it continues to mature. So that was a big moment. Um, and when you and, guys went to Vivint Sky, just real quickly, were you guys migrating from Alarm.com or were you migrating from a third party? Yeah, so historically, uh, yeah, we had used alarm.com and so beginning actually in 2014 was when we launched Vivint Sky and all of our new customers from kind of that point forward. And how did that change the company in terms of okay, you guys migrated. You guys had uh gotten sales and and kind of the the business model differentiation down, I think to a certain degree before that and then you started to say, "Hey, we need to become a technology company." And then you developed your innovation center and uh, I think one of the goals from the get-go was it to migrate from Alarm and kind of move to your own cloud platform. Was that one of the things you guys had at the beginning when you when you built the Innovation Center? Yeah, it was. I mean, very early on, uh, this space was really about uh, who who's going to be able to put all of these uh, sort of unique and burgeoning sort of smart home experiences that are coming into the market, whether it's doorbell, whether it's water management, whether it's HVAC, etc. Who's going to be able to put those together in the most seamless and elegant way? Um, and, and, you know, Michael, smart home, it is it's a marketplace for a consumer, especially if they are smart home ignorant and not yet to the point of smart home savvy. It's confusing. I mean, you sort of walk down, <laughs> you walk down the aisle of a Best Buy or a Home Depot where all the kind of smart home products are. And most average consumers have trouble kind of sorting their way between Z-Wave and Zigbee and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and is this HomeKit enabled? Does this use Brillo? I mean, that there's a lot of complexity there. And so what we looked at is we said, okay, is there a way that we can sort of 
build a product offering that absorbs all of that complexity internally and just delivers simplicity. And what we got to really quickly was the only way to do that and actually create products that didn't just create parity in the industry but moved it forward was going to be to build our own platform. But we had to learn to be a product company. That takes time. You know, it's, 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 it's a discipline you, that at Nike I had seen, you know, for a decade or more, but going from sort of a services and an integrator mentality to being an actual innovator in that space and bring on, you know, UX designers and industrial designers and, you know, software teams and QA, all that sort of stuff. It, it was a, a, sort of a unique transformation, um, but it's been pretty awesome. And it, and it's, we, we really feel like we own our own destiny now, whereas I think before we felt like we were reliant on the innovation of others for us to get a leadership position, and that was a perilous place to be. And you guys, when you did migrate, part of the process, you, you, know, you got acquired by Blackstone, which is a, uh, basically a large investment group, um, and they injected cash in you guys. And you had uh, you had money to then play with. Um, and by the way, if I'm getting the narrative about the corporate history wrong, just feel free to tell me. Um, sure. But then you brought on uh, uh, a guy who helped to actually create two gig, right? I mean, and I, so you guys eventually had your own panel. Um, you had your new panel. Was that kind of getting strategic hires and bringing on uh, Jeremy Warren, for example? I, I would imagine was also a key part of kind of reinventing yourself. Yeah, if, it, you know, if we were going to be a sort of a leader in sort of developing products, be they software products or hardware products, you know, we don't have enough time in this industry to learn from scratch. We needed to get up the learning curve pretty fast. And so, yeah, we brought in great talent from everywhere, from Apple to Disney to Electronic Arts to some of the classic uh, folks from great security firms like 2Gig, et cetera, and we sort of mashed it up together and brought sort of um, all of kind of the the legacy pieces around being about still needing to be best of breed in security. You've got to be UL listed. You've got to make sure that you pay you know very close attention to encryptions, uh, security, monitoring, et cetera. You have to be world-class at that. And then you sort of mash that up with folks from like pretty progressive tech companies, um, and what you've got is – Event. And and I think it's been a really sort of interesting kind of balanced mix um, and super fun. But, yeah, it, it, we had to recruit in places we've never recruited before. But it was amazing when we when, when you talk to somebody who maybe comes from the video gaming industry or they come from, you know, the footwear industry or something like that, and you sort of start to tell them the story about where Smart Home is and where it's going to go, it is compelling. I mean, I, I don't think there's very many more interesting places in tech right now to work. And so, it, it, you know, when you layer that with, I think, what the, the ingredients of, around Vivint, they made it a really interesting place. And we didn't have a terrible time recruiting. We were able to find great talent in that process. And it's an interesting time this week to be talking because you guys, at some point um, a few years ago, realized, kind of coinciding with the acquisition, that you needed to become a technology company. You look at the biggest ADT, uh, they, it was announced that they are being acquired this week. So I, I'm just wondering, and they're also being merged with uh, another security company. So it's an interesting time. And, and I would characterize ADT as a company that uh, has been relying on others because uh, they've been working with iControl to kind of mo- run their smart home services and their platform. So uh, you just, you know, it's an interesting contrast between what you guys have done versus what they've done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that, that combination of, uh, um, sort of ADT and now sort of this Apollo-backed 
protection one is I think going to be super interesting. I mean, ADT is a, is a, in, a, in sort of the classic sense, a, a known 125 year old brand around security. And so I think it, it will be interesting as, as they potentially bring that brand um, and sort of brought it out with sort of other dealers who were selling under other brands. I think it'll be super interesting. We, we look at that and say, great. Um, we're so, so one, we don't really think of ourselves as a security company. We really think about ourselves uh, at the beginning of a new industry, which is really smart home, which I think will be uh, uh, light years uh, and, and sort of larger as, as far as, um, you know, what the like total addressable market will be. Um, whereas maybe one out of five American homes has a managed security service, we think smart home will be pretty pervasive. And so we're, I think we, we, we've looked at really positioning our brand at sort of the forefront of that wave. And if you think about where we say, okay, where's that competitive advantage? I think we're so early in this race, frankly, that I think speed and agility is probably going to beat size. Um, but it's, it's certainly early in that process. And you guys, what I would character, I would characterize as uh, a managed smart home provider in the sense you, you provide security. You also are innovating on the smart home side. From a, a, a business model perspective, some of the components are fairly still traditional. I mean, you guys have you do the, all your own installation, um, and you ma- you manage it. I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys have uh, how long are your contracts in terms of service contracts? Do you have two year contracts? Yeah, so they range starts around thirty six to forty two months. So um, I mean, I'd be interested to kind of understand how you could see Vivint evolving over time, and and you've, you know, tell me if you can't talk about that. But oh, do you, sure. when you look at the DIY market, for example, and, and some level yeah. of self install, like Simply Safe is a self installed home security. Uh, there's a lot of self installed DIY, DIY smart home stuff. Do you guys see yourself maybe trying to tap into that larger addressable market that is, you know, maybe has some other different ways to get into the home? I think we're at an interesting time. Um, if you think about our marketplace overall, um, you know, the going from, you know, uh, sort of nothing to having a smart home is there's a lot of kind of friction points in that whole process. And so I think the formula that, that it has sort of worked for us and, you know, is we've said, hey, you've got to have great products. And we've talked a lot about that. That's why you had to sort of invest on that front. But we still really believe in sort of the role of people in the middle of a smart home service, um, and specifically our people. Um, and then uh, then last, I think pricing plays a really sort of important role. And on people specifically, I mean, if you think about it, if you really want to sort of bring on not just a basic, like simply safe style security kind of rubber button experience, but you want to do something that is actually like a smart home. It is, it is intelligent. It reaches all the way out to, you know, things like doorbell cameras and thermostats, et cetera. You, you sort of hit a level of friction in the consumer experience that most of America has never changed a doorbell. They get queasy at the idea of sort of turning off their electrical panel, going up to their thermostat, ripping the thing off of the wall, playing MacGyver for the next 45 minutes while they try and put it all back together and then hoping that they don't freeze that night. And like that, that, that I think for most Americans is still a pretty like intimidating process. Most of America has never changed a lock. And so the, the, the model that's historically worked is we sort of say at Vivint, no, we're not going to make this a pick your own thing and, um, you sign up for multiple apps and multiple services and fast apps switch your way to a smart home. We say it's one app 
and we will do we'll take the burden of professionally installing it while you sit home and watch Jeopardy. You know, and then, you know, it, it because you're looking at things like an Amazon Echo as part of that and the Nest thermostat and the quick set locks and like super premium stuff, there's a cost associated with that. And so sort of generally our consumers have kind of voted with their dollars and says, you know what, we'd rather take sort of the model where you all get this all at once now and I'll pay for this as smart home as a service over time. Think of like the mortgage industry. Think of things like the automobile industry where financing plays a big role. Well, we're not literally financing that product. It's not the way that the agreement works, but it is certainly smart home as a managed service. And if there's any issues, well, they just want to... They, they want someone else to deal with it. And so we'll roll a truck or we'll kind of help them work through that. And in these early days where these products are, their technologies are evolving so rapidly um, and these new standards are sort of, um, sort of um, developing as well, taking the friction out of that with people uh, it has been just a huge part of our model. So, I think over time, I mean, one of the great maxims at Nike is the consumer decides. And I think over time, where the masses begin to vote with their dollars that they want to DIY their way through, you know, a, sort of a, a real smart home experience all the way out to some of these next level services around therm, water, et cetera, then I think we'll want to move there. Um, but right now in this, this kind of nascent time, it's been sort of the managed uh, we'll take the burden and give you the easy button approach that's been super key to our growth right now. You guys have done a lot of internal innovation. You've also done some acquisitions. Um, and one in particular I want to talk about because I don't hear a lot of people talking about it is Space Monkey. But you guys have this interesting technology. Talk a little bit about Space Monkey um, and kind of tell people what it is. Yeah. Um, well, one, we started with just the use case. So we do a ton of qual research and quant, and we spend a lot of time in consumers' homes. And <laughs> there's actually a really fascinating insight that was uncovered in that process. When we asked consumers, and not our consumers, just generally homeowners, and we said, here's the, here's the, the list of the, the legion of things a smart home could potentially do. You know, everything from protecting your pets and checking in on elderly loved ones and medical needs and, you know, turning down my thermostat automatically when I'm out of the house, etc. You know, one of the top things that emerged was I wanted to protect my data. And, um, and actually that ranked higher than protecting my own kids, which is very terrifying if you think about it as <laughs> what it means about American society. But that was a real sort of aha moment for us and said, well, wow, people are thinking about inside the envelope of the jobs that a smart home needs to do is not just protecting the physical goods, but the digital ones as well. And so um, we, uh, we acquired uh, a Google venture backed company uh, called Space Monkey. And um, what they sort of bring into that package is um, right now the offering is just it's a terabyte of cloud storage that works very similar to the way the Dropbox does, iOS and Android apps, et cetera. But we're able to do that um, in, in a way that sort of fits into sort of the, the um, uh, sort of the pricing and packaging of a smart home experience. Um, and it has some um, some advantages as well in that it can serve sort of like DDR-like qualities of, um, of you know, what uh, of the cameras inside of a smart home. So, I mean, that's <laughs> – so if you think about the costs associated with cloud storage right now, they are significant. Their data centers popping up everywhere. They use huge amount of cooling and bandwidth and uh, – um, uh, 
electricity and HVAC and all of those things. And so this idea to bring in this drive in into the home that offers you a terabyte of cloud storage, provides backup for all these cameras now you're installing indoor, outdoor, doorbell cam cameras into the house, but it also sort of backs it up in the cloud as well. It's a benefit to the consumer because it has all the speed of local of having a network attached storage with all kind of the benefits of cloud. So it's been interesting. Um, you know, we were really pleased with our introduction of it last year because, um, you know, we acquired the company in November of, I think, 2014. By 20, early of 2015, and this is, I guess, a testament to the agility concept of the thing, we were in market with that and had it built into our system and we're installing it in you know hundreds of thousands of homes and so um and that's is it a checkoff option or is it a core part of the the service offering if people get vivant do they get this automatically or is it like an extra yeah. value-added service no it um it, it, it as you get to upper tiers that includes sort of cameras uh, it's it slots slots right in so it's, it sort of fits seamlessly. You know, if you're going to get sort of a, just a basic uh, sort of core smart security experience, it maybe doesn't make a ton of sense, but you could add it to technically any package. And it's about uh, less than half the cost of a terabyte from Apple from, from iCloud, and it's obviously platform agnostic. So consumers were reacting to that, to that value prop, um, and so we were, you know, really satisfied with its first year. Talk about the other products you guys have. I mean, I, I've played with your doorbell. I think it's a good one. I think it compares well to some of the other ones I've tried. Um, and I think it's CSU announced an internal uh, network camera, which I think was your first. Or, so you have those two cameras. And I think actually the internal camera was developed as a response to user behavior around the, the doorbell camera, correct? Right, yeah. Um, you know, we the reason why we did the doorbell camera is – um, Consumers told us they wanted something that looked like a doorbell. One, to just kind of elegantly fit the sort of the style of the home, and then two, they wanted something to have both control and communication all in kind of one experience. So it's not really enough to just be able to see and speak to someone at your front door, but you want to let them in. Um, if you want to open the garage door to receive a package or have your neighbor drop off those golf clubs that they borrowed, etc., that they wanted that in one spot. And so that's why we built our own doorbell camera. But a super interesting insight happened in this process. What, um, and it, it, it tells us some interesting things about sort of the state of the American home now, which is um, we found kids, especially kids age of uh, between about 8 and 12 and, and a little bit out to 13, have a like a connectivity blind spot, meaning the landline's going away, right? Fewer and fewer people have that service. And so everyone's moving to kind of mobile phones, but kids 8 through 12 or 13 usually don't have a mobile phone. And you're like, well, but are they ever really home where they need connectivity? Well, the data tells us that 40% of American kids um, are home alone during some part of the day. And so what was happening is kids were going outside and ringing the doorbell to talk to their parents. Because you think about it, just sends a, yeah. sends a push notification to mom or dad, right, and you right, open right. up a, like a two-way talk. And, and that was kind of like, that was kind of an aha moment for us, because here's what's great, what's great about kids. They always find the easiest way to do things anytime. Yeah. And so this idea that even less complex than FaceTime or Skype or anything else, there was a single button that was a bat phone you know, to mom yeah. or dad, would they just reacted to that? And so we said, "Hey, let's bring this inside." I parent completely through my door. One- I parent completely through the doorbell now. I don't ever talk to my kids face to face. 
<laughs> so the weird thing is they have to go outside to talk to me. That's a problem. <laughs> right. So, so we said, let's bring one-touch call out to an indoor camera in, a, in, you know, in addition to sort of all the classic sort of two-way talk call-in features yeah. that you sort of see on the marketplace now, which is, I think is indicative of our product strategy, and people ask us a ton. We're not interested in doing and building every smart home peripheral. I don't think that makes sense for us. We want to bring on best of breeds like the Nest and the Amazon Echo. But where we see a place to like move it forward, that there's an opportunity to kind of bring something to the market that really isn't there right now that we think is solving a real tangible consumer demand, we'll do it. And that's, um, that's, and, and we can get it to market, I think, pretty fast, you know, from conception to design to manufacturing to installing it at scale across 96% of U.S. zip codes. I was going to so, ask you about that, like, what, you know, where you guys decide what to make because you obviously use, you know, third-party locks. You're, you know, you're not going around creating a smart lock or you haven't created a thermostat yet, but you created a doorbell. It seems like there, you know, no one really owned, uh, I think, the network camera or the doorbell to the degree that Nest owned the thermostat and some of these lock companies own the lock. So that makes sense. I mean, are there other areas you see as potential white spaces from a competitive standpoint you guys go in and make the product? There are. And you know, it's probably not super – You can't reveal it on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. But there – but there are interesting spaces. Um, you know, what, 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 what I can do is take one step up, and the, the, the way we approach this is really simple. When we look at every product, when we start with baking security into it, meaning it's, we don't bolt it on later from, like, how do we make sure that we protect the consumer no matter what product we make? And then we sort of ask this question, which is how do we deliver more time, more money and potentially more sort of control and peace of mind back to the consumer's life. And that becomes sort of the filter by which we start with, you know, 120 product ideas and get down to the like one or two that we're actually going to go deliver, you know, over sort of a given year. And so, yeah, there's, there's, there's more innovation for the innovation center for sure, but it's all, but because our space is growing so far laterally, Meaning, there's great sprinkler stuff out there. There's, you know, there's great solutions across uh, um, air purifying. And sort of as you work your way down the long tail, there, in, in, in sort of much the same way that Apple would tell you that there's an app app for that. In the year 2016, there's an IoT product for that, right? And so we're not interested in making all those. We we want to partner, uh, and 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 really have I think um, enough scale that that we become really interesting. If you're sort of um, an, an IoT product creator and you want to get distribution and you want, you know, the idea that it could be inside of a Vivint package where it's subsidized and sold as a service and professionally installed, that's that's what you want. And that's part of why we built that platform as well. So there's definitely more innovation in that space. Innovation both in products that will make it, but innovation also in taking standalone third-party IoT products and seamlessly integrating them into one experience, one app, one conversation, um, which was what the, what the consumer is telling us. That's what we want. Is there of the hundred ideas that you start with and you get down to like two or three good ones? Can you tell us like maybe the the two or three worst ideas? <laughs> or you don't have to. Uh, I just oh, love to hear some geez. of the rejected ideas. If you think of some later, just let me know. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure there's some terrible ones there for sure. Did you? So we talk about the third party integration um, because I, as you guys get to a million households and such, I mean, service providers are great markets or channels, I think, for startups. So how do you guys uh, work with uh, some of these guys? Do you have like a, an integration program? If, if a company has a cool product and they want to get uh, considered by Vivint, how do they go about doing that? 
We do it at a pretty intimate level. So instead of sort of hanging an SDK out there and say anybody who wants to can sort of can connect in with us, and there's a really sort of intentional reason. By intimate level, I mean we're going to handpick a sort of a short set of partners and then work really closely with them to do something that's really quite a deep and organic integration rather than just sort of rotely pass on the remote controlled buttons for that thing. Does that make sense? And and I think that the that the that the Echo um, integration is probably the best example of that. So Amazon, who's an awesome partner, um, they looked at sort of what what the sort of the core capabilities of the Echo could be. And and for us, we you know we had been looking at voice for some time, and as we sort of got farther and farther down that path with them, I mean, it really dawned on us that voice is the new UI, and certainly for the smart home, it's the UI that's sort of always been missing. And so no one wants to pull out their phone, type in a four- to six-digit password, find the app, wait for, wait for the app to load, and then go, like, rotely press their button to do something that was in their brain 15 seconds before. They want to think it and say it. And having something like the Echo with far-field communication is it, just huge. And so as we worked with them, we said, hey, we want to do more than just, like, basic. How do we open up the hood of this thing and do some things that people haven't really done yet? And so... Um, you know, being able to say things like, uh, Alexa, I'm going to bed, and then having sort of, uh, um, you know, a series of things happen that have to do with sort of shutting down the house at a particular time, or things like, you're in the kitchen, um, you want to check in on how the baby's doing, and so with our panel, it's got a seven-inch screen, full-color screen, you can say, Alexa, show me the baby room camera. Well, um, and so things things like that that just allow you to check in, have control, and peace of mind that sort of uh, integrate really seamlessly into the experience. Alexa, uh, uh, um, lock the back door. Um, Alexa, is the garage door open? All, all of those things um, that just as we got deeper and deeper, we realized that we're super sort of powerful and very seamless. And that those are the partnerships that we want to do. Well, I don't think success for us is saying, well, we've made it out to 30 partners. Because we're a managed service, if any of that stuff breaks, guess who they're calling, right? It's us because they're paying us the bill every month. And so we've got to pick sort of a short set, a best of breed, and then integrate and QA the heck out of the thing so that we know it's going to work, work well, work at scale, and not cause a gazillion truck rolls and service calls and all the things that you're sort of accountable for when you're selling smart home as a service rather than just, okay, here's our single product you got on Kickstarter. If you have any problems with it, visit our forums. Well, we're in a different model. And so that's why we pick sort of a really sort of short set of partners. You know, you talked about voice as the new UI and really Alexa is a product that's uh, independent of, of Echo. And so could we at some point see Alexa integrated into a Vivint panel um, and not necessarily need the need to have a, a standalone Echo? I mean, I, would, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, was the integration with Alexa and not with the Echo itself? And then could we see the evolution of this partnership to, to even further integration? I think Amazon is being really smart and intelligent about how they're thinking about that service. And... Um, the the way that they sort of abstracted the hardware itself from what the service is is really smart. And they have said, could this service be delivered through other types of hardware that maybe we don't make but provide the same service? I think is really, really, really smart. So I think as you look down in the future, you know, there's a lot of 
a lot of potential to see that, you know, where exactly that comes to life with the Vivint experience. I guess you'll have to wait and see, Michael. All right. I'm excited. And we're lucky for some reason, as I talk about Alexa, it has not turned on. Uh, I've done a a few (laughs) podcasts where I'm talking about her and she gets annoyed and starts talking back. So, uh, but hey, uh, Jeff, I appreciate you spending some time with me and telling me a little bit about what Vivint's doing. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks very much. I want to thank Jeff Lyman for spending time with me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Learned a little bit about Vivint. Like I said at the top of the show, we'll be at South by Southwest in a couple of weeks. Uh, having a smart home mixer, smart kitchen mixer sponsored by Belkin in it and Control 4. I want to thank my sponsors. And lastly, if you haven't subscribed to the Smart Home Show, just do it in your favorite podcast space. You can find us on iTunes or you can go to our podcast network, technology.fm, and find us there. All right, folks, that's it. We'll talk to you soon.